I'm Mike Brilla, host of the Inspired Teacher Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Angela Arnold. Angela is the general manager of Overdrive's education division. Overdrive is a global digital content platform for libraries and schools. We had so much fun talking about this. This is so cool. You're going to learn a lot about uh, resources that are provided to help get kids reading. Uh, This is cool stuff. Thanks for being here. Oh, by the way, you know, it would be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews, left a review. Um, When you go to that website, you have the possibility of joining my uh, email list. Um, You could uh, take a look at uh, some of the the blogs that I've been sharing, and, uh, you know, listen to other podcasts, uh, of other episodes from the past. That'd be so cool. Thanks so much for listening. And, you know, you could do me a huge favor, which would be share it with a friend. Could you do that for me? Thanks so much. You are awesome. Enjoy the show. When they have a digital collection that they've curated and purchased and made available to the, to the students, every school decides what books are in their collection. Overdrive doesn't decide. Schools decide. So when they decide what books they want in their collection, they're going to make those available in a number of different lending and access models. Um, And students will come and check out a book, um, depending on the access model. If it's a one copy, one user model, and they only have one copy, then the student will check it out for the loan period. And then when they return it, the next student can check it out. That's very much like the print model. However, digital does does cooler things sometimes, right, than print. There are simultaneous use models where kids can come in, all the kids can come in and check it out, unlimited use. It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Stimuletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dotsty Maletto. Angela Arnold is the general manager of Overdrive's Education Division, a global digital content platform for libraries and schools. A former librarian, Angela brings to her role a wealth of experience developing and promoting reading materials for a wide audience of library patrons and other readers. Today, her team focuses on serving K-12 students through Overdrive Education's Sora. It's a reading app providing access to a catalog of ebooks, audiobooks, read-alongs, and other digital reading content to help students succeed both in and out of the classroom. Angela, glad to have you here. Welcome to the show, and thanks so much for joining me. Please say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me, Steve. Well, glad that you're here, Angela, and uh, i got to start with this. I mean, as a former librarian, you bring a unique perspective to your role. I mean, why'd you want to be a librarian? What's something that you truly liked about doing that? It feels like ages ago, Uh, but (laughs) when I first got into the profession, I kind of fell into it by accident. I actually met a person who was um, in their second year of their master's program explaining to me about all of the ways that she was making an impact and reaching communities and leveraging her undergraduate experience to really transform um, communities. And the way she described it, it felt a lot less like an academic pursuit and more like community activism. And that really, that appealed to me. Um, There's a a phrase somebody told me one time, they said, you know, librarians are only common two kinds. 
they're <laughs> they're either quietly subversive or raging. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love that quote because I thought, yes, this this is about right. That's that's there's two speeds, and I I think I'm more on the the raging end of things. You know, you feel passionate, you feel outspoken, you feel um, very motivated to make a difference in the world, and I think that that is definitely something that's true for um, most librarians. That's awesome. Uh, yes, I, as a former high school principal, all right, um, who uh, has worked with multiple librarians, media specialists, whatever term you want to use, um, I have had uh, um, somewhere I have had run-ins with the protector of the books, someone who, it's like, this is the realm, this is my realm, and you shall not, none shall pass. And then I uh, had the others who are the protector of everything out there, um, not the protector of the books. Instead, it's protector of knowledge. Welcome to my knowledge world. And um, my favorite experience with that was uh, way before everybody was talking about Google, I had a media specialist who was introducing me to something called Google. And she was teaching me, you know, I sat through these different lessons with her and a couple other stuff, staff members. And uh, my world was a little insane at the time. And so uh, I didn't, it didn't, take hold as quickly, but within a year, it turned out like two years later, the whole world's Google-fied. And I was like, oh my gosh, man, she was like clairvoyant here, something like that. And But I have to say this, because my other favorite uh, interaction that I have to, to note is uh, I was in the library and I was waiting for something and I watched her do an interaction with a kid where she, the kid was looking for a, a picture of Abraham Lincoln and had been spending a lot of time online searching for a picture of Abraham Lincoln that he liked. And she said, you know, you don't need to spend all this time. And she went over, to, she did the old school thing. And she said, she said, I got any number of pictures right here. And he's like, Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And you know, that's such a, that's such an encapsulating moment, right? Is when you first, it's a, a young patron who has an interaction with a librarian because they're in the same, they occupy the same physical space. They're in the building together. There are books. That moment is surprisingly, it's facilitated. It's common. It's in every community. I mean, there's a library in, in almost every town. And I think that, um, you know, the more that we can connect kids to that moment, put them in that space, whether it's their school library or whether it's the public library, that's the place where you can have a free and open discovery of your own intellectual curiosity. You can be curious about whatever, and there's someone to facilitate and guide that for you and with you. And I think that that's kind of a unique experience um, for any person and young people in particular. I love that. That's that's so cool because you're talking to someone who grew up in uh, an area of Florida as a as a child who uh, um, and young adult who they had bookmobiles. Yes. And that was cool. <laughs> well, they brought the place to the student, to the person, right? And yes. then you've, you've got it's their librarians on board and media specialists and people there to help. But you know, you're, you're facilitating that place, that's that that space, that moment where somebody can say, "I am curious about. I want to know more about. I wonder." Those are really important questions that make us all lifelong learners. And I think that that. That's what we're trying to support. That's our work here at Overdrive um, in our education division is, you know, how can we do that for students in a digital sense, right? I'm, I'm not physically co-located with the student, with the reader. How can I do that virtually? Because that is also 
just as valid a need as being in the place, in the physical place. That's so cool. And you give me a great uh, segue. But before I go there, I got to tell you about something because we're talking about with kids and we're going to be talking about with kids and stuff. But even as I mean, when I got my doctorate, (laughs) the I am so thankful for the knowledge of the librarian. All right, because you know there were graduate students there and stuff like this, and they were helpful, but not like the librarian. Because there's sometimes when because you're looking for that right thing and you're doing this, and you're doing that, and you say, "Can you help me with this?" And they're like, "Can I help you with this?" And next thing you know, it's like, "Forget these over here. You need to be in this. Come over here, and let me show you what you should be looking at on the computer right here. And this is this is going to help you." And the next thing I know is I'm I'm like, "Oh, yeah, okay." So um, even all the way. Th- through adults. I had to bring that up because that's, I have great, uh, great fan of, of the librarians. And so, uh, and in dissertation land, they, they connect you with other librarians across the, the world. And it's like, look at, check this out. I'm, I'm doing good now. <laughs> so anyway. yeah, I appreciate that, that, that the moment that you have, Oh, look at this, that moment, that feeling, you know, that that's such a, a common reaction for anybody who is turned on to the thing they were looking for. I had, a, I wondered, and now my curiosity is satisfied, that feeling of its gratification, right? What's interesting about your story is that that gratification can happen for someone who who is very accomplished and very educated. You showed up already being very proficient in knowledge and information and, and gathering data. And you still have that moment, right? You still have that right. gratification. It can happen for someone like yourself just as much as it can for a two-year-old, a three-year-old, or somebody who's in a lap sit or a story time. It sure can. That's what's so cool. And I think that uh, uh, this importance of uh, this type of work is great. So let's 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 start switching here because you made a switch from being a librarian to the position you're in now. So can you talk to us about uh, um, what made you curious? What made you take that that leap there? Well, I'm I'm actually what we call it overdrive a boomeranger. (laughs) It's somebody who used to work here and then comes back. Nice. (laughs) Boomerang. So I worked at Overdrive back in um, the early 2000s um, when our library products were just in their nascent stages. And so um, I think I had a a succession of really crazy titles like library liaison and, um, you know, working on projects to to help um, proselytize digital books with, you know, amongst librarians in the public library sphere. I worked for Overdrive a number of years then. did some other things in the interim, raised a family, did some stuff, uh, pursued some other career ambitions, came back in 2019 um, to overdrive, actually 2020, um, to lead the education uh, business unit. And um, I showed up in 2020 and then in January, and then uh, things happened. Uh, Just a couple months later, everything uh, changed for us when the pandemic hit. And that was um, unexpected. And it was incredibly uh, transformative for me personally, our business unit, all of our team members and our company, and obviously K-12 and America. (laughs) It was a moment. And I think that that was, um, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced in my career. And I'm I'm so glad um, to have been part of supporting the schools that we're trying to educate students during a pandemic. It was, I'm, I'm sure books will be written. <laughs> yeah. Someone, maybe you'll write a book on it, Steve, <laughs> but I, I think there, it was a moment, it was a time, but I, I am struck by how incredibly adaptive and how um, creative K-12's response was 
to the pandemic. Kids got to read. Kids got to learn. I, I know we were we weren't sure. There's a lot of uh, you were there. It, it was a time. It was a moment. A lot of um, uh, lack of information and and fear and a lot of confusion. Right. And yet, and yet, we had to keep educating kids. And so our function here at Overdrive. Um, within the SOAR team was to support the schools that were still trying to do their work by, by hook or by crook. They were still trying to get those kids educated and get them into books. So that was when, you know, a lot of things changed um, for our business. Oh, I can imagine. Cause it's, you know, it, like you're talking about, I mean, it just, you know, it just, it's nice uh, shock to the system there. And, uh, um, and, you know, I, I live in the Atlanta area and, uh, um, in Metro Atlanta, and 75 through the state of Georgia is a nightmare most days because, especially just south of Atlanta, and uh, it's just amazing how uh, um, it was like we were in some sort of weird movie um, about the apocalypse or something like this because there was almost nobody driving on that interstate, and you're like, yeah. wow, I could drive in the left lane, I could drive in the right lane, I could drive in the far right lane, I could drive in yeah. the far left lane, and you know, and it's like, that was really weird feeling. But one of the things I was going to say, like you were talking about and going through this, trying to figure out how to get education to, you know, to help kids still be able to do stuff and learn stuff. Um, I knew superintendents who drove buses that had a little device in it that did Wi-Fi, and they drove it to these big church parking lots in these rural communities and so that people could then connect to the Wi-Fi that way. Um, they didn't have connectivity. And that was, so people did stuff like that as well as, superintendents and principals and teachers driving and delivering meals and stuff. So any number totally. of things. Totally. And you know, your, your story about the, the weird post-apocalyptic empty freeway, right? Like how crazy is that? It's like, that's the thing of science fiction movies. Yes. And yet, and yet we all adapted to thinking of that as this is normal. We're going to, we're going to work through this. We all just kind of internalize that, that this is what the street looks like now today. And I'm going to get on with my life and figure out how to, how to educate kids, right? If you're a, a school teacher, if you're an educator, they're going to wake up in the morning and figure out how they're going to continue to do their job. And I think that that adaptability, that, um, uh, you know, the ability to evolve and adapt to the new situation has been something that I, I've come to appreciate and try to emulate um, because educators do this all the time. They've always done it. Pandemic made everybody do it more and faster yes. and, and with more or less funding and in masks. But that uh, that mindset, that growth mindset, that change mindset is something that really, I, I think, um, is the thing that uh, helped me be better in my job and, and something that I, I really uh, admire and I will say that that growth mindset, how are we going to make change, um, is something that um, still sticks with me. It still resonates with me today. This is this is the key learning for me. Somebody said during the pandemic, you know, when, when a forest fire decimates a forest, um, what grows back is new growth. And it's going to be different, and it's going to be interesting. It's going to grow faster because there's more sunlight. And, you know, that analogy is like, wait, that's a metaphor. But, like, you know, it, it's going to grow back, you know, and it's going to grow back faster um, and stronger, perhaps, and different than it was before. And it creates opportunity for new seedlings. And I thought that that was something really interesting because we definitely saw that with um, digital reading. We definitely saw that with the tools that schools were using. And now that we're in 2024 here, 
Um, there are absolutely some trends that are now evident on this side of the pandemic. You know, through a couple of years later, we're now seeing things like, yeah, schools did embrace digital learning. They did change that new growth of the forest looks like digital reading, looks like embracing digital tools, looks like um, digital curricula, right? All of the things that educators are trying to do um, that were, they were doing during the pandemic, they're now instituting and embracing here in a physical, you know, teaching space. We can be back at school again, and yet they still adapted. They they took what worked and are using it here. Now that sounds very surface, and I'm happy to talk to you about like, yeah, you know, like everybody's like, yeah, we changed. Yeah, okay, duh. But I think that there are some real um, key insights that we have that we're seeing about what that looks like for digital reading. I'd I'd love to talk about that. I think that's it's so interesting. What actually stuck. Cool. digital books. Well, well, how about before we do that, and then, we'll, and then we'll, we could segue into that, um, if you just kind of give an overview of Overdrive and Sora, and uh, just kind of talk a little bit about how that works with schools, and then let's let's go into how you saw those changing uh, uh, reading sure. patterns and such. Sure, thanks. Um, Overdrive is the world's leading digital media supplier. We are institutionally, we are important to institutions like libraries, schools, um, corporations, um, and we have several different products. We are um, a company that supports Libby, the um, public library app. So you might know our company, most people would know our company because of Libby, the reading app that they get free books and free audiobooks from their public library. Um, that's absolutely um, the mothership of Overdrive um, and is in over 90 countries around the world um, who enjoy Libby. Sora, which is our product, is the K-12 reading app. And Sora is for students. Sora is a digital reading platform that ensures that every student in a school has access to the right books. So it's a little different when you're talking about students reading digital books than a public library patron who's an adult who has a library card. So those are two different um, ecosystems um, where we supply, where Overdrive supplies digital books. Um, and I am very pleased to note that our company is a B Corporation, um, which is uh, a different type of incorporation model. It stands for Benefit Corp. And so Overdrive is a mission-driven organization. Our mission is a world enlightened by reading. So um, I worked in a lot of businesses where you have to find your why. Um, working here and working in SOAR, working in K-12 and supporting reading for kids, that why is super easy. You get up in the morning and you say, I, I connect kids with books, super easy. Um, and I, I really do like the mission of our organization. That's so cool. The, uh, cause it, it's a neat thing. So I, you mentioned something I got to ask because, you know, um, having been somebody who uh, worked on a dissertation in a college where I was, I'm a history person. All right. And so I was doing a, uh, a history where I'm delving into the stacks at the university of Georgia, where, um, they have all this stuff that goes way back. And so my, my dissertation covered from 1900 to 1980. So I'm, I'm looking at books that many hadn't been taken off the shelf in like, uh, years and I could prove it because the card was stamped like 1944 and uh, it, it was funny when I was checking out some of those books and uh, the the uh, graduate student at the or actually the, many of these weren't graduate students they're like freshmen or sophomores who are working the desks do you see the last time this book was checked out <laughs> I said yeah I'm taking it on a field trip so it's <laughs> you know, um, so you kind of mentioned the whole do, do they check out books electronically is that what this 
is yeah. that it's electronic format. And uh, yeah. I mean, I, obviously there's not somebody stamping a card or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> it does work similarly, right? Um, and just to kind of back up and, and give you kind of the high level of, of what is Sora and maybe just kind of orient for you, Sora is a digital reading platform, meaning there is a purchasing portal for schools where they can purchase books. And then there's an app and uh, an interface for reading of the books. So there's kind of a front end and a back end. Um, Sora is an institutional product, meaning we sell into schools um, because it's not a, a consumer product. It's for schools um, at the at the district level primarily. Um, and and what just to again give you a high level, Sora is free. The platform is free. It comes with hundreds of free books, um, including all of the stuff, the good stuff of the public domain, like called the Wild Romeo and Juliet. You have to read that stuff in school. Um, but it also comes with free premium content as well. Um, and so that is to help people understand how it works, get a trial for it, understand how easy it is to check out a digital book. Then when schools feel that they're ready to customize their digital collection, they can purchase books that they want to make available to their students. Um, when they have a digital collection that they've curated and purchased and made available to the, to the students, every school decides what books are in their collection. Overdrive doesn't decide, schools decide. So when they decide what books they want in their collection, they're going to make those available in a number of different lending and access models. Um, and students will come and check out a book, um, depending on the access model. If it's a one copy, one user model, and they only have one copy, then the student will check it out for the loan period. And then when they return it, the next student can check it out. That's very much like the print model. However, digital does does cooler things sometimes, right, than print. There are simultaneous use models where kids can come in, all the kids can come in and check it out unlimited use. Um, and then there are digital class sets models, right? These are ways when, you know, kids can come in and they can, um, the school might furnish 100 digital copies, they can all come and get them for the same class uh, at the same time, and that's a 90-day use model. So that's super in the weeds. Um, but I will say this, the, the other phrase that I, I, I say a lot is that, you know, it's like, um, you know, kale. A lot of people um, <laughs> don't like kale. And I always say, well, anything kale can do, Swiss chart can do better, right? It's not, there's people like kale and it's called for in many recipes and it's durable and you got to have kale because people like it. But Swiss chard is actually not better. It's sweeter. It's easier to, to cook and grow. It, it's just, it's just, uh, it does things that kale can't do. Nice. And I like to say that digital does things that print can't do, right? If yes. anything print can do, digital may be able to do a little bit better in some, in some fashion. So, you know, there's always a place for print, but but digital can do things like, for example, hit a button and every kid is provisioned the book on their school issued device. And that's kind of mind blowing when you think about the reasons why schools need books. How do schools use books? Well, they use them for pleasure reading, right? Everybody right. needs to read Dyer Wimpy Kid and Babysitter Club and the uh, Wings of Fire series. Like people want the Harry Potter. Everybody wants books, right? You got to have pleasure reading. And that's what turns on kids. You know, I survived oh, yeah. and all of these franchises and brands and stuff. Kids love that stuff. That's pleasure reading that's going to turn on a kid and, and create a lifelong love of reading. Schools also use books for required reads and curricular applications where they, they say, okay, we're all going to read um, Esperanza Rising, right? Maybe in seventh grade, everybody's reading that book. That's an assigned read. Well, the class has 30 paper copies in the classroom for in-class reading, but they don't leave the classroom. So how is the student going to read the book 
if they can't take it home, right? Is the expectation that mom and dad are going to buy that book for the student or that they're going to take the kid to the library, the public library, and go get one? Because the school library had a couple copies, but they're checked out. So it's like, you know, that limited supply and the need for that book, it's required, right? In, in a lot of ways, digital can be an equity tool, too, because like I said, you hit that button, boom, two hours, every kid has that book on their Chromebook. That's cool. And now every kid has access to the book in the format that they want. So a lot of times we talk about digital books as an equity tool um, in K-12 because kids come to reading um, on their own terms. You've got to meet kids where they are and give them the book in the way, in the manner, in the moment, in the place that they need to succeed. Because it's not just pleasure reading, it's required reading, it's supplemental reading, it's um, accommodations, it's IEPs, it's 504. You've got to have the right book for the right kid. I love that. You know, it's so so cool. And I, I'm going to pop back up into that dis- dissertation world for a second because one of the crazy things that uh, – now, this is, this is all bef- – this is as things are digitizing, all right, and all kinds of stuff like this. And how people use the uh, – you know, if they needed to get another, that book that you just checked out, they were wait. oh, I missed that book. So at the university, what they could do is they go ahead and put in a request for that book. So you were only <laughs> allowed to keep it then it for two weeks. So then the librarian taught you that, uh, well, if they, and actually it wasn't a librarian, it was usually those helpers, <laughs> said, you know, you can ping them back, which means that yeah. when they get it, then they only have it for two weeks. <laughs> and so... And, <laughs> Yes. All so right. Of, so, Steve, that's an interesting thing. A lot of the nomenclature, a lot of the terminology about Sora operates very similar to how things, similarly to how things work in the school library. So what you're talking about is placing a hold, right? You're saying, okay, I, you exactly. have the book checked out, Steve. I would like to read it. I'm going to place a hold on your copy. That absolutely happens in Sora. And we have in-app notifications so that the student is notified when that book is available so that they can get their turn and they they can have a turn with the book. Now, also, right, the school librarian or the person at the school who is managing the collection, monitoring the collection and keeping tabs on activity that's happening with the digital book collection, they also will be able to see that there's there's a wait list, you know, as long as my arm for a very popular hot title that's really popping in their school. If you are a school librarian and you've got 15 kids waiting to read the next book in the series, you absolutely are all over that because what that is signaling is, you know, interest and love of reading. And not only that, kids talking to other kids in your school about books. Hallelujah. Is there, nice, I mean, yes. talk about like as an educator, mission accomplished, right? Like that's the moment you crave. You want kids to be talking about books with other kids. Absolutely. So you could go in and fulfill more copies or purchase more copies for your digital collection so that that hold and that wait time for the kids is, is eliminated. I love that. I love that. The, uh, so let's talk about a little bit about, you know, your experience as a librarian and promoting reading, because you got me thinking about all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, cause sometimes the adults in my building, when I was a principal, you know, they, you know, I, I noticed, uh, um, I, I had this, uh, one teacher in the library, they were ordering enough copies of books to, uh, to make sure that, uh, they had books that kids could check out because the, the teacher wanted these. And one of them was, uh, um, at that time, I had never, there was not a movie yet, and I had not heard of Orson Scott Card or his book Ender's Game. And uh, the librarian looked at me and said, you have not heard of this book. <laughs> and and so she, she 
pulled aside one and checked it out to me. And she said, you're expected to read this <laughs> and we can talk about it as you read it, if you want to talk. And I did because it was cool. And, <laughs> and, uh, she did the same thing for me with, uh, a book by, if you've ever heard of the writer, James Rawlins, who writes a lot of ad thriller adventures. But at that time he was working on books that were specifically for YA and mm -hmm. they were awesome. And so she did the same thing with me there. She, she checked out a book specifically for me and said, we'll have discussions. And she made sure. And so that's how she promoted me. And as a note, I never have given it up because just um, uh, just this last summer, I think it was, uh, um, one of my colleagues on the, uh, on the podcast, out in the podcast world, he, is, uh, he said to me, he goes, you know, it'd be cool if we read the same book and then talked about it and, uh, and discussed some of the stuff that's in it. So we read the book uh, um, Rocket Boys. And there's a movie called October Sky. And so then they changed the title to October Sky to go with it. And we had this really cool discussion the same way. So my point is, is that it's, it's pretty cool how, you know, you can promote reading and, and doing different mm -hmm. stuff. I was wondering about, because uh, I, a matter of fact, in some ways, I kind of was bullied into, you will read and meet with me and talk with me about this. <laughs> now, I love the book. So and, remember, I told you there are only two kinds of librarians. You got one who's <laughs> <laughs> you, yes. you know what kind you had and that's great because i think again that's a parallel right that's that is also a kind of uh, that is also an inception point right when does the love of reading actually begin sometimes it begins because you stumble into it sometimes it's because you saw the you know book to film right you saw the movie you want to read the book uh, there there are numerous ways that the moment you know, that that inception, right? I, I'm a reader. I become a reader. I like books. This is turning me on. I, I want to read more. For you, it, actu it actually happened um, because you were prescribed a book, right? That is didactic. That's like, you go, you go read this book. Here, I'm going to give it to you. you. You know, you don't have a choice. You, you go read the book and you're going to come back and we're, we're going to talk about it. Now, that kind of moment is also supported in SOAR because that too is a K-12 educational experience that is necessary. All kids have to have that too. Somebody has to tell a kid, you, you got to read this book. You don't have a choice. And that's why in our app, there's an assignments tool, right? Where an, uh, an educator can go into the app and they can push that book to the student's platform. It shows up. You can't get rid of it. It's there. <laughs> <laughs> it's on your shelf. You go read this book. Now, that is, that is an appropriate use in K-12. That's that's another one of those ways where Sora is very different from Libby because the use cases are different in K-12 than they are in, in public library. But that's one of them where you are absolutely prescribed a title that somebody says you need to have this. And one of the great things about digital reading is that that works for a one-to-one -one case, like in your case, Steve, where somebody's handing you a book, right? You could press a button and assign it. You know, librarian can assign it to Steve right now. But also a teacher, an educator, somebody who has appropriate permissions can push that out to numerous students at the same time. We worked with um, a very large district um, in the Southeast that did an all grade read in grade four and read Hidden Figures Young Readers Edition, push the button and 4,000 students have that book. Wow. You know, like we're gonna, we're all, the whole district is reading this book at the same time. It was a team read, it was a group read. We also see that use case, especially for like also for professional development where teachers are expected to read some book necessary for certification or because they're doing some PD as a district. And so everybody needs to have access to the same book at the same time. So it's not just kids that use Sora. It's everybody in the district is Love using it. Sora. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Did so, you go read this book, Steve? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I could just see this. 
if those if I was in this day with that uh, working with those same people, they'd be sending me little pings or whatever and saying, um, you have a book to read. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Her- yeah. And you know, what's, what's, I, I think, you know, the, the other thing is you're, you're touching on the notion of how do we share the experience of the book? We've all read the book and now we're going to talk about the book and we're going to be in the book together. I think that that's something that is, um, also supported by digital reading, you know, things, things that print can do digital can do better in some ways. And this is one of them is where you say, I'm going to capture a highlight or a note or a section or a passage of this book, and I'm going to annotate it. I'm doing that throughout the whole book. So is capturing that annotation. Then I'm going to share the annotations with you, my teacher or my colleague. I'm going to export that and give you those my annotations on this, um, you know, the section or the excerpt. I'm going to give that back to you. And so that is a lot easier than taking a sticky note and sticking it in a paper book and handing the whole paper book to your teacher, you know, which is how a lot of students will do annotation. They have to sticky note it, mark it up with pen. Oh, heaven for fed. We're going to write in a book. Ah, right. Dog ear the pages. Right. And then we're going to hand that to somebody. So in a lot of ways, you know, digital facilitates that as well. Same thing with like translation, right? If English isn't your first language and you're reading a book in English, you need to right click that and get a, a definition on it. And that's something, again, you can have that right in your reading experience in a way that is harder with print. I I cannot think of the last time that my kids actually picked up a dictionary and looked up a word in a dictionary. <laughs> like that's not a thing people do anymore, you know? Yeah. Which is sad because uh, I don't think they know how to do that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm even on that planet because it's like once I learned how easy you can do it on, uh, on uh, any of those platforms out there, um, it's, uh, because you can also get how to say it too. And it's like, right. <laughs> it's, exactly. Yeah, Again, and that's a, that's a thing you think, yes, a dictionary is important. And when there's no internet access, you absolutely need a paper dictionary in your house. Or if you just want to see it or understand it, there are things paper does that you cannot replicate online. On the other hand, those are, you've just mentioned a couple, uh, attributes or features about digital that make the experience better for a student in who needs that and that's to each his own but that is definitely a use case that that is supported by digital so cool there's just many different you know because you you are talking to somebody who loves the to hold a paper book all right and i like the feel and so forth and the there's just a neat smell that comes with a new book and all that sort of stuff but (laughs) there are so many cool digital things that can happen and the annotation is one of those that because if you look in my books, I I write. All right, I write my books. I underline things, I highlight, I, I respond to things, you know, it's like, yes, this is a good idea, you know, that's a, that yeah, type of thing. Yeah. And uh yeah, that's that that the horrified look that <laughs> some people get when they see that I'm writing <laughs> you're writing in that book. You know, here's the electronic one. You don't have to no, you don't mess it up. <laughs> anyway. But uh Well but but I think, you know, you're having a personal relationship with your read. Right. That's exactly right. what you're describing is that you are in that book, you you are internalizing its ideas, you're processing them and you're saying it back. And I think that that is obviously a thing print has always done. Digital can do that, too. And I think that that's we were talking at the top of the you know, top of the hour about, you know, the things that stuck, the things that we learned when we were trying to educate through the pandemic. And I think that that, you know, getting to the heart of what is what is the the intention of what we are doing here? Why? Okay, we're we're reading a book. What are we trying to do? <laughs> I've assigned to you Esperanza Rising. What are we trying to do about this book? We're trying to have you read it. 
have a personal relationship with the characters in the book. Hopefully, you know, the windows and mirrors things are activating. You see yourself reflected in this book. You have a, a window into other people's experiences. You're internalizing that, you're reacting to it, and then you're expressing your, your reactions. That is what we are trying to do when we read a book, I hope, in many cases in a learning environment, right? Digital can support that. And I think that that's, you know, what stuck is that people said, hey, wait, educator people said, hey, wait, we can do this as effectively, cost effectively, or more equitably with digital than we could with print. And that's something that really turned that new growth, that post forest fire growth for us was the light bulb going off for people saying, you know, we could do this. This is, there are advantages to this. We can get kids to engage with content in a different way. You're in spoken word. People like to listen to audiobooks as well, right? So it's not just print. You know, every ebook is a large print book. Every, you know, audiobook is a spoken word experience for people. So, you know, these are things that print is doing, or these are things that digital books are doing for, for students um, in a way that still achieves the intent. The intent was engage. So now we're engaging in a different way. I love it. I love it. There's, there's nothing better than that. Cause that's, uh, you know, and you know, if, whether it's you know, those librarians I was telling you about, they were trying to get me to read other books was because they said, we know you, you, you read a lot of nonfiction, you're reading leadership and you're reading education books and all this sort of stuff. You need to get into the world of fiction a little bit. And so, and so, and so they were prescribing these amazing reads like that. And what's, what's interesting is that, you know, the same thing can happen is you're interacting in nonfiction. You can, if the writer is that good and, some of those I just mentioned to you aren't that good where you, you start yeah. wanting to boo the bad guy and uh, cheer the, <laughs> the good guy or, or whatever the situation or say, no, don't open that door. What are you, you know, anyway. Um, right. Yeah. Well, that's how you know you're engaging, right? Yes. You feel yeah. something. And that's the intent of it, right? We, we know that education works when students feel, right? When your emotions are at play, you remember things better. When there's multi-sensory experiences happening. You remember things better when there's a smell or a, a feeling or a tactile experience that goes with it. We know that that is what makes learning stick um, and creates the desire for more learning. So I think, you know, as long as we're achieving that, however, however means we achieve that, that's what we're trying to do. That's cool. I love that. So, so with, you know, reading scores kind of not doing that well in this country. What do you what do you think is some of the problems that are what are some of those barriers that are interfering with kids, you know, wanting to read or learning to read or um, you know, becoming better at it? Yeah, I I think there's an there's some very easy answers to that question and I think there are some complex answers to that question. The easy answer is kids don't have the books. They don't have anything to read, Steve. I mean, this is <laughs> Uh, this is a, a real problem and a real challenge, right? I, I read a study, um, this was back in 2020, this is 2022, that when the ESSER money was coming out, um, they did a poll of some 3,000 educators, and 99% of the people who were asked, educators, asked, what should we do with all this money, said, we need access to books and materials. We need the things of school. We need books, textbooks, papers, things to read, to work with, because, you know, in a lot of districts that are, that are, have not districts that are, are low socioeconomic community districts, it's a challenge. They don't have a school librarian. The, the person you and I are, are talking about this, this librarian who's, who's showing you care and affection and, and, <laughs> and doing great readers advisory, it sounds like, they don't have that person, right? They don't have the books. There's just a, a, a a gap in terms of the resources that are necessary to get kids reading. Um, 
you know, the factoid that uh, I picked up out of the NCES data was, um, you know, the kids that read more for pleasure in a week, I think it was, was there's some threshold, it was like, uh, you know, 30 minutes or something or two hours or whatever is like more for pleasure, right? And the frequency of, of reading for pleasure per week. Those kids were in the top decile, were in the top quartile. Those kids who read for pleasure frequently, daily, weekly, right? Scored better than kids who don't read for pleasure. All other things aside, like, I don't know, did you study for the test? Did you, did you do the vocab? Did you do the, the phonics exam? I don't know. But kids that were reading for pleasure, just more at-bats, more time in a book, scored better on NCES reading data than kids who didn't. So that tells me, okay, if we got kids reading more, that correlates with scoring higher regardless of what else is going on in, in their environment. Okay, what do we need to make that happen? A book. Right. right, <laughs> right. That is the bare, that is the, the minimum foundational unit of reading is a book, an item to read. So, you know, the simple answer to your question is on, on the simple end is uh, how about just more books for more kids? Give people more books and let them enjoy them. I think, you know, on the complex end of things, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of educators listening to this going, well, yeah, it's not that simple, right? Because right. it's complicated, right? Why are reading scores? I, I, tanking would be a, a, a drastic thing to say, but um, they were the lowest they've been in a decade or more. Um, and, and it's really drastic, right? Why did this happen? I've heard educators say, we were always headed for this. The pandemic just underscored all of the inequities, gaps, and issues in K-12 education and made them worse. It exacerbated things that were already present. Okay, well, we knew that there was a learning gap. We knew that there were um, achievement gaps. We knew that there are uh, varying qualities of instructional materials that are being taught in schools, right? Um, we also have an environment where there are book bans happening. So, you know, we've taken books off the shelves. We've we've taken things out of school libraries. So it's like, okay, all of that is now baked into those lower numbers as well. Um, and obviously those problems are, are not just solved with more books. There are funding issues and training and you know, community opinions and just bringing more wherewithal for educators, right? That, that's a lot more complicated. But I think at the end of the day, those reading scores didn't get like that just because of pandemic. It wasn't just because of that. We were, we've been heading for some sort of decline for some time, according to many people I've spoken with. You know, you're, you're, you're talking to someone who, I've, my uh, parents always had books around and had relatives and they're always reading and and uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, at an early point in my life without getting TMI that you know they stuck me in rooms with a book <laughs> you know and and uh, hey take check this out and you know and, and encourage reading that way and then I had relatives who you know bought me books I still have some of those books where they wrote a little message in the top of it or something like that and and just the cool thing to to and it of how it was encouraged you know I to, to look into these different uh, topics and so forth just simply by someone uh, sharing those books. And it saddens me when I find out that, you know, I've had students who, you know, I questioned whether the parent read anything other than a text message or something like that because, mm -hmm. you know, you realize that this is where they, sh you know, where some people, where some kids struggle is that, the you know, the... It, is really, you know, the parents needing to know that it is important that they encourage 
the, the venturing into whatever lands <laughs> of some of the books or the nonfiction world of the, the prehistoric dinosaurs or the nonfiction world of, uh, of something and, you know, or, or the fiction world of, you know, like the ones I described to you. And it's just, I think uh, it is sad when you see that some, this is not a, a possibility that it's too much of a, uh, of, you know, it's, it used to say, um, at least they have a newspaper in the house. Well, <laughs> those are, yeah, and, and those are gone too, right? Yeah, speaking of dinosaurs. You know, I mean. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Steve, you make a good point, and I, I, it it makes me think of, you know, it doesn't matter how you get your exercise. You're supposed to get your heart rate up for 15 or 60 minutes a day or whatever the recommendation is. you got, you got to get your heart rate up. Well, if you want to do Zumba or Pilates or go lift weights or run around the track, it doesn't matter as long as you're getting that exercise because it strengthens your heart, it strengthens your body, it's good for you, Right. Reading is the same way, and we know that just time spent reading is healthful for young people's minds. This is, it is essential to not only just glean new information, we know that, um, you know, gathering information about the world is important to build on your skills, you know, reading to learn versus learning to read, right? You got to get the information, but it's also just the muscles of your making your brain muscles stronger to learn how to focus for, for you know, concentrate and, and be in a book for 20 minutes, you know, that being able to um, dwell in the content for long periods of time helps you practice for doing that for math or history or any other academic endeavor. You've got to be able to do that. You've got to be able to um, build your vocabulary so that you can start thinking, you know, about <laughs> how sentences work and structures and how to get the ideas into your mind, right? Like just all of the things that reading does for you, it's like getting your heart rate up. Just time in a book is healthful um, for developing minds. So yeah, if a parent is saying, we're just not a household that exercises, what do you think is going to happen, right? You know, right. if that's if that's your culture and that's how, that's what's going on in your home, it's going to be really hard for a school, for an educator to come in and intervene or, or to supplement a kid and say, no, no, this is important when you're getting a conflicting message at home. That's that's hard to overcome. It, it, I'm not saying that it, it can't be or that it should be, um, but it, it is difficult if you aren't getting that support at home for kids. And that's why, you know, one of the things I like about um, digital reading is that that book goes anywhere, anywhere the student's device is, anywhere the student is. The student can log in on mom and dad's phone um, at home with their parents. They can read together with mom and dad. What are you into? Here, let me show you. Give me your phone, mom. I'll log in. I want to show you the book I'm into. That's a moment that Sora facilitates as well, um, especially if mom and dad or, or parents or guardians are not readers. Um, so, you know, anywhere reading is something that is 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 really important to just get the reps in, you know. It makes so much sense because it's just because I like what the picture you're making there because that was like uh, – <laughs> That is something that it, it takes time. It, it takes doing it in order to be able to, because otherwise, I mean, you've seen some of these books out there that I, I have a, I have a son who devours these books that are definitely at a, you know, popping at 1100 pages or somewhere like that. And, you know, sometimes I look at a book like that and I go, yeah, well, maybe to open my, keep my door open. Um, but, you know, it's the more you read though, the better chances that you're going to be able to move through some of these other lengthy uh, books. And, uh, you know, and just, just like you're talking about with the vocabulary, I, I was a big f fan. Uh, I still am, but uh, he's passed away, although I'm amazed at how he still continues to write even after he's passed away. Um, if you ever heard of the writer Tom Clancy, um, 
Tom Clancy. I'm former military, and it was neat to read his books. And and it was amazing to me as a as um, as an educator, I was noticing how many words were in there that were part of these lists for the SAT and ACT. And I'm like, wow, this is you know, it explains a lot why a lot of the kids who are pushing through those those books and um, things like that that are a little tougher that challenge them with the words. Um, might have that experience that you're talking about, which is getting um, more advanced uh, thoughts and ideas and understanding those ideas that they read about. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great example. I mean, it's an equity challenge as well. Like the, you know, you're in the book, you're reading the words, you're, you're reading words that are on the SAT exam. Now you could have done a vocabulary test, like the sadlier vocab quiz, like we're going to learn vocab in school, but if you're in the book, and reading those words all the time because you read for pleasure, um, it, you're already at it. You've got a natural advantage when it comes time to do the SAT or any other standardized test. So, so let's go there for just a minute. I mean, we're getting close to wrapping up, but uh, I mean, what advice would you give to educators and school leaders looking to leverage that those digital resources? I mean, we're, take it to that next step. What's what do they need to do? Well, I think, you know, again, sticking with easy solutions, get more kids in more books more often, right? That's <laughs> get more kids reading for more time. This is hard. Even the simplest answer is difficult to achieve, right? Because kids have multiple demands on their time and it, it's, it sounds easy. Yeah. Read more. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, okay. If that is our ambition and our, and our objective, because we know that reading more builds vocabulary, sets them up for success, gets better, high, higher test scores, right? If we know that reading more has the outcomes that, that educators are looking for, then I do recommend a couple things. I think there are, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prescribe some stuff to, to, nice. <laughs> to the world. There you go. I'm going nice. uh, to tell people what I think about it. I think number one, um, building a robust digital collection, just in the same way that we used to have robust print collections in every school building, in every community, this is a must. If we can't have physical books or we don't have staff or we don't have labor, which is a real concern in K-12, we're out of people. All right, build a digital collection, make sure you tend it and mind it. Overdrive helps with that. You don't even have to we have people for that. We will assist, right? If you're out of people, we can we can put some people on it with you. But it's like, make sure you make the resource available. That would be the first thing that I would say um, if we're trying to get kids to read more. The second thing is, is I would integrate reading. I ha- I'm a little biased, digital reading, into the daily course of instruction. So for example, if you want to teach history, Give kids a supplemental history book, a nonfiction history or a fiction history book to go with the unit of study that you're teaching. There is a book for every topic. If it's math or science or whatever, there's a book for that. Go find the book and assign it and make sure that your kids are in the book to help stimulate, augment, and buttress whatever they're learning. So you got to bake it into the instruction that they're having in the classroom. Um, The third thing is uh, I would get staff and community and everybody who's not a student on board with reading. It's not enough to just build a collection. If you build it, they'll come. It's not enough to, to point your finger and say, you got to read this book because I told you to, right? That's a sign reading, right? That's this bullet right. one and two, right? right? The third bullet is get everybody on board with this and have them help promote the use of, of digital reading or reading in general. This is true for print and digital. I'm going to be agnostic about it, right? Get everybody on board. And that means getting your teachers reading, 
um, having parents invited to come and share in what their students are doing, right? Um, it's not, it, it's, it's not, it should never be antagonistic between the, the teacher and the parent, right? We, this is a team. We are team teaching the student. So get mom and dad on board. How can they do reading with their student? They can use Sora with their kid, right, at home. Tell them what to read. Tell them how to read to a kid. Not everybody knows how to do story time. I know they tell you read to your kid, but what if you're bad at it and you don't know how, right? Okay, <laughs> help mom and dad figure it out, right? Right, right. Um, same thing with, you know, the rest of the community, and that's public library support as well. We also, our product integrates with public libraries. We have a thing called Public Library Connect so that um, students can access their local public library through the app and check out books from their local public library's digital collection too. Great. So the more the merrier, get everybody on board and, and create all of the people around that student, create an environment, create an atmosphere where they're pre pressuring, encouraging a child to go discover their own <laughs> reading joys and discover what they want to be, you know, what, what turns them on, right? To get, to get people um, to support that student. So those would be three things I would recommend. That's awesome. Love it. Uh, as we um, finish up here, one of the things I'd like to ask you is um, if they want to find out more about Overdrive, uh, where do they reach out to? What do they, they take a look at? How, they, how do they start that conversation? Yeah, our basic website is discoversora.com. And if people want to just drop us an email, it's schools at overdrive.com. And I'll say that again, it's schools at overdrive.com. Awesome. And I'll put that information in the show notes so it's easy to find and uh, so they can Great. go from there. So I, I got two last questions I'd like to ask you, Angela, that uh, go like this. These are just questions I like to ask my guests. And the first one is, how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Thank you for asking that question. I think who among us working in K-12 or working in, in, in the industry right now hasn't felt that way? It's hard right now to be a teacher. It's hard to be an educator. It's it's hard to be a person who is supporting those people. That's my role. I'm just, I'm a cheerleader. I'm on the, I'm, I'm rooting these people on. And it's hard for me to keep rooting them on because, wow, it's hard. Um, and it's been difficult um, for the last couple of years. And we have seen a lot of people who decide that they cannot do it anymore. They cannot keep going. And that's understandable. They've got families and it's hard. Um, I think for me, the going back up to our mission um, and referring to that, that's what keeps me going is a world enlightened by reading, right? I know that when I wake up in the morning that um, the work that I'm doing is designed to support more kids reading more books, discovering and finding their own joy in a book, in a concept, and in an idea. There's nothing more powerful than an idea. And so if I can help support somebody's discovery of something new of themselves, of their learning journey, then I'm making the world a better place. So that, that helps me keep going. Love that answer. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Oh, I got a lot of teachers that were pretty awesome. Um, and I, I'm trying to, I will, I had a lot of great elementary school uh, teachers who really were transformative in my life. I'm going to give a shout out to Mrs. Augard. May she rest in peace. She was my kindergarten teacher. And I was an early reader. I loved to read. Um, even at five, I was I was into books and um, I was good at it at, for my age, I think. And I wanted to find things that I could 
tackle. I wanted to be challenged. I wanted more things. And I remember her, we went to the library together. We had a school library and, and I lived in rural Michigan in a not very affluent community, but we had a school library and we, we had a, a library. She walked down with me one day and she said, I'm going to show you some other books. You, you, you need these. This is what you need. And she kind of did that, that thing where you turn someone on and you say, I, I think this is where your interests lie. Can we talk about it? She did that with me and we sat down and she, I found something. I don't remember what it was. And I said, well, none of the other kids are reading this or this is weird or something. You know, what if I get you know picked on or I, I don't know, it's, I, I'm going to, it's not what we have, right? This is different. And she said, it's okay. It's okay to be different. You need to find what, what works for you. And that was her message. And I'm sure she said it in a much better way. <laughs> she was an awesome, you know, how kindergarten teachers are like kid whisperers, you know? And she said that in a way that said, that validated me and said, your choices that make you unique are valid. It's okay to be you. And I think that um, that is a message that every student, heck, every adult needs to hear. It's okay to be you. Validate your choices. Find what turns you on. Find what what resonates for you. Um, and then share it out in the world. I love that. That is awesome. The That's uh, so important. And, uh, <laughs> Angel, oh, cool stories. I love that stuff. And uh, thank you so much for all the work you're doing. Thank you so much for um, sharing with us about Overdrive and the power of it and, and the ideas that, that come with, you know, the digital reading resources and, and you know, getting the ability to read and the access to, to reading materials in the hands of kids. Um, this has been an awesome talk. Appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. What a pleasure. I'm so glad that uh, we shared this time together. Appreciate it. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcast for educators, podcast by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.